Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. So you think 21 is gonna be a good year, especially if you and me see it in together. Ah, welcome back. It is the Leaving Eden podcast, and my name is Gabrielle Hawk-Cohen, and we are here. I am here with my co-host. Hi, I am Sadie Carpenter. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Gabby. How's your, how is your 2021 going? Uh, it's been 2021 for 11 hours. Uh, we are recording this on New Year's Day. You know what? I should have sang U2 instead of singing The Who. They have that song, New Year's Day. It's a pretty good song. But that's all important because we're going to be talking about a lot of music today. Uh, but we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the IFB cult, Independent Fundamental Baptist cult. We are here to educate and to inform our listeners about this cult and about other cults and the danger that they present to society as a whole. We are here to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. And in today's episode, we will be spending a lot of time talking about freedom, freedom to consume whatever music we want, because I truly believe that whatever kind of music you listen to, you should be able to listen to that kind of music uh, if you want to or not, even if it's terrible. I agree. I, I support people's rights to listen to Five Finger Death Punch. 
You're not a fan of Five Finger Death Punch. I don't know. I couldn't I'm tell you a single not. Five Finger Death Punch song. Uh, you know, I, I'm no, not not a fan. They had one real cool guitarist, but um, no, not not a fan. This is like a hard rock metal type thing that like I I'm just not cued into. Yeah, they're they're new metal. Um Oh, new metal, so like Slipknot. Yeah, so in like in the same vein as uh Slipknot or Linkin Park. Oh, Linkin um, Park rocked. Oh, I love Linkin Park. Um, BDE to Chester. Personally, I like Slipknot. Their new album was super rad. Yeah, I, I remember when they were really big. That wasn't really my thing. I was more into like alternative rock. I was listening to like Radiohead when they were popular. Oh yeah, um, but like, have you heard the new, the like the the most recent Slipknot Slipknot record that I think just came out like last summer? No. Okay, I'm, there's I'm a very not, cool I'm choral. Not big into Slipknot. Okay, yes, I understand, but there is a choral song on there. Oh, you think I should check that out? You think yeah, I'd like it? Yeah, you. I mean. Yeah, I mean, sh- I'm not going to knock Slipknot. Uh, you know, they I, I know that a lot of people really like them and that uh, they, they seem to be, it's, you know, well like most, most Slipknot songs are not my thing either. Um, but there are a couple pieces on the new record where they use um, a very cool choral sound. Oh, interesting. That is, and I, that, that's that what made me think of you because I know you're a choir person. I Yes, I am, was a choir person, am and was. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we have just a few things here to say. Uh, the first is that if you like our show and you want to get into deeper discussions about it, you can join our Facebook group. It's called Eden Exodus. We post in there all the time. Uh, you can support us by recommending our show to your friends and family, giving us a good iTunes review. And, you know, finally, you can join our Patreon if you want, because we have outtakes. We have extended episodes. Um, just a little PSA, uh, on our Facebook page, we do have full transcripts of the show, uh, so that it is accessible to anybody who is deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, we're not going to have quite all of those up, up yet, but I'm working on getting all of those done because it is a process to get through the back catalog. Um, but enough with that, uh, we are here to talk about one of my favorite topics and I believe one of Sadie's favorite topics as well, which is music and there is so much to talk about here um yes there is yeah there's no way that we're going to be able to cover obviously this is a very broad topic and we're not going to get everything in one episode because we're not going to do an eight-hour podcast episode um we could be like a telethon Oh, we could do a telethon. If we were doing a telethon for hashtag arrest David Hiles, I would spend eight hours oh talking about music. Gosh. Oh, my God. People could call in and be like, I'm going to. That would be great. <laughs> no, if you make like a certain uh, level of donation, you get to pick a song for both of us to listen to and critique. Yeah, um, actually, that'd be super fun. We should do that. We should do that. Anyway. People no, music would probably is- like abuse it, though. People would be like, I'm going to make uh me listen to an entire just like patch the pirate adventures back to back they'd have to give us like a thousand to do that music (laughs) talking about music we are talking about music today um i'm very excited about this music is something that's a big deal to both of us obviously but it's also something that's used heavily within many cult groups so there's a direct uh connection to the overall topic of our show Music can be used in a couple key ways. It can be used to teach by rote memory. So anybody who learned the states or the presidents by singing a song would be familiar with that. Schoolhouse rock. Yeah. 
Music can influence our moods. It can shape the way we think. And because of that power, music is a very effective tool for any group who's trying to control others. I know for a fact that music is a great tool for controlling people. You know, you put on cha-cha slide and everybody goes to the left and everybody takes it back now, y'all. Well, everybody except for the Baptists who stand off to the side with their arms crossed and judging all y'all worldly people. Wait, Baptists can't cha-cha slide? No. What about Soldier Boy dance? Typically, Baptists, um, at least the IFB and other strict Baptist groups, don't dance at all, ever. I mean, there's even an old joke ever. about it. Yeah, there's an old joke about this. You'll have to tell me if this no, is it's... appropriate for the podcast or not. But uh, why don't Baptists have sex standing up? <laughs> why? Tell because, me. <laughs> because someone might see them and think that they were dancing. <laughs> Oh, man, I was going to say because it's not very ergonomic, but, and you know, they don't want to throw their back out, but that works, too. No. Um, anyway, IFBs and other strict, many other strict sects of Christians uh, don't dance. Even though there are a lot of Bible verses that talk about dancing in a positive light, but we're not going to get into that today. Music within the yeah, IFB. What about, hmm? what about Miriam and the women and, and dancing with the timbrels? Okay, so if you want to, okay, if you want to know the answer, I'll go ahead and answer it. Um, another example that people might be familiar with is King David, famously danced before the Lord. Um, the explanation that they give is that that dancing was not like what we have today. That dancing was more like akin to jumping up and down, or like jumping and clapping your hands, like jumping jacks, kind of. How do they know that? Because dancing. If you move your hips, it's a sin. And the Bible didn't say that that Miriam or King David did a sin. Oh, so obviously the, that wasn't the kind of dancing they were doing. Okay, I I get you, I get you now because they were like they, like all of this IFB stuff started like getting ma- like I don't want to say mainstream, but it started like gaining steam in the 1950s and people were like, "Oh, Elvis, mm-hmm. like Elvis is is dancing with his hips, and that's not allowed because yeah, that's Elvis rock is being and roll. shown yeah. from the from the waist up on television. Yeah, and so they're like, oh, okay, well, we have to figure out how to make this work in the Bible to say, yeah, so well, clearly, like they couldn't have been doing the same thing as Elvis, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and IFBs typically like um, they typically don't believe there's anything sinful about dancing like a waltz or something like that, like ballroom dancing. But they believe that it would be sinful to do that with anybody that you weren't married to because then you'd be touching the opposite gender. Yeah, but then how would you learn to do it if you weren't married to them? You don't. It's like they, they don't so they don't believe that there's anything sinful like about if you dance with your with your husband or wife, but they they you know, you couldn't take lessons or anything because you'd have to t- you'd have to touch somebody else. So Oh, okay, I get it. Because they have like a for like European culture, like in the way that like <laughs> white european white, yeah yeah you, yes. in the way that you see like white nationalists being like <laughs> oh yeah i am a child of the west actually so the thing about um oh the thing about the walt the waltzing thing um again i'm not accusing the ifb of being a white supremacist organization because i don't think they know like now some of them now they should know better I they should know better 
Yeah. But I don't think that they understand how racist they are. So, like, it's not, that does not give them a pass to not learn. But I do want to make the distinction. I don't think they're doing it on purpose in most cases. I think some people are, but the average people aren't. I think that's that's, that's, that's exactly yeah. where I'm sitting with this, too. Anyway, um, music within the IFB. <laughs> music in the IFB is just a huge topic, and uh, we're not going to get to everything, but I think we're going to have some fun today. We're going to dig into details of some things that I've mentioned offhand in the past, and then we're also going to be discussing some IFB-specific music rules. Uh, so that's kind of the direction we're going with this, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm thinking like the second episode. Uh, actually, this is this is a good place to jump off from that because in episode two, we talked quite a bit about racism and we talked quite a bit about music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, I think, uh, Rock and Roll is from the Devil episode, uh, episode two. So we talked about how songs where the beat is on beat two and four so like if you're listening to music if you don't know what we're talking about like the song would go one two three four dun, mm, 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 dun, dun, like that uh so that rhythm was banned uh and we've also sort of you know we've had homework episodes where we talked all about music we talked about like patch the pirate so this sort of idea of what music was allowed what music was not allowed how you would describe it like so how would you describe the music culture within the IFB? In just one phrase, I would say highly specific. Uh, I've referenced a few times in homework episodes that certain music wasn't allowed or that I would never have been able to listen to that. But I don't know how much I've gotten into why. Yeah. So I remember uh, you. So you had me listen to the HAC tour tapes, uh, the House Anderson College tour tapes. And so many of the songs were just like slow emotional ballads with lyrics about Jesus or or getting saved or, you know, devoting your life to God. And that's a pretty narrow genre of music. Right. So there's ballads or there's like barbershop quartet sounding music, which is some of the stuff that you really enjoyed. um, Yeah, I love a good barbershop quartet. I've sang in one before. It's super fun. Uh, I've done a, a good deal of singing in quartets, and it is it is fun. Quartets um, rule, yeah. I really do. So so you've got like the ballads, or you've got like the barbershop kind of sounding thing, uh, or you've got like like mandolin and banjo, like country kind of music, like yeah, hillbilly music. Okay, and bluegrass. Um, bluegrass. That's the word. I'm sorry, I'm pregnant. I still can't think of words. So, but that's pretty much it as far as as far as musical genre, and then the lyrical themes are God's love like grace getting saved talking about jesus uh the crucifixion giving your life to god being a better christian like giving up sin that's that's about it it's it's pretty narrow yeah and then the reason for this extremely narrow slice out of everything that music can be i think that's something that's what i haven't explained before yeah, and that's what we really want to get into right. today. So the root of all this is that the IFB believes that music has extreme power over people who listen to it. Whether you listen to something on purpose or even just heard it in passing, like in the grocery store, whether it's oldies or metal or classical or IFB approved music, everything you hear is something that can deeply affect you. So part of why this is is because of the concept of the eye gate and the ear gate. The IFB believes that your senses 
are vulnerable points for sinful thoughts and ideas to enter your body, and even for demons to physically enter your body and possess you. So anything that can be seen or heard is especially dangerous because it can get through your eye gate or your ear gate. And if that thing carries a demon with it, then that is one way that you can get possessed. Right. Okay, 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 okay. Because like we talked about when we talked about the exorcist, they think that, you know, demon possessions are things that happen all over the place. And like, it's not you doing something that will let the demon possess you. It's like something, it's just like happening to, to you know, to you, you happen to witness something or hear something demonic. Exactly. Because it would be more likely for you to be at risk of possession from something that you did on purpose. Like you actively read something or listened to demonic music or played with a Ouija board. Right. Um, so that's why they got to have all of like the censorship. Yeah. Right. Because it's it's more likely that you would get a demon from something that you did on purpose. But it's still totally possible for you to just passively pick up demons as you go through life, no matter how good you're trying to be. And the easiest way that that can happen is through music because of the almost magical powers that are ascribed to music by the IFB. I know that the last time I listened to Nuck If You Buck, I got into a fight at the Waffle House, and maybe there's something to this. There's also a belief, (laughs) and this is something that's been around. (laughs) Sometimes I just pass right over your comments. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that's been around since the early stirrings of the satanic panic, that Satanists are everywhere, and that the Satanists are purposely making enchanted music that will entice others and make them vulnerable to possession. Music that will influence their minds through the use of backmasking and other technological tricks. I will mostly save the satanic panic parts for explanation when we do a full episode on that. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am too. Like we we did the Duggar episode and that was like a big one that I was excited about and now the satanic panic one is like the next big thing on my horizon. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I can't wait to talk about the satanic panic because I find it hilarious. I mean, me too. (laughs) But before we get too deep into all of this, I want to clarify something that we talked about way back last year in episode two when we talked about racism. We did talk a little bit about music in that episode, and we mentioned that there was a lot of talk about the Phantom of the Opera music being satanic. So I, I want, I've gotten a lot of questions about that in the Facebook group and from other listeners uh, over, over social media. So I want to dig into that on our way into the music topic in general. Yeah. The IFB generally allows musical theater music, or at least like a good deal of classic musical theater. Newer shows are not considered approved, so you couldn't walk around singing songs from uh, Rent or Hamilton or... Uh, the SpongeBob musical or Chicago. So Guys and Dolls is cool, but Wicked is witchcraft and therefore absolutely trife. Okay, yes, that's actually very accurate. But do you want to explain trife for our listeners? Yeah, it just means not kosher. Okay, it's like the opposite, like uh, yeah. halal and haram. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like uh, if you hear somebody like that is haram, like that's it's the same thing as saying that is trife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So some people would say, to get deeper into what you said, uh, some people would say Guys and Dolls is about gambling and therefore it's not okay. Other people would say, since it's a play, there is no actual gambling happening. Like, even if he says, I'm betting in the play, like, he's not actually betting because it's a script. Like so the it's song, not Luck Be a Lady. Right, but it's not technically a sin because because it's, you know, he's not actually gambling because he knows what the outcome's going to be because it's a play. 
So some people would also say it's fine to have people drinking fake beer for a play. Um, my church growing up, for example, we would not cross the line of giving somebody like apple juice in a cup and saying it's beer because that is too similar. We would have been okay with giving somebody like water in a wine bottle and having them drink out of the bottle. Hmm. Because like that's because that's, that's like the super gray area that we would have these walked. distinctions man this is like they're like okay but if it's if it's the color like okay yes but listen i know the wisest... water in a wine bottle looks more like wine than apple juice looks like beer unless you're drinking just the flattest worst beer in existence okay that's fair but hear me out here i know <laughs> The wisest, but listen, the wisest and most learned Jewish scholars spent many, many years, I mean, decades, centuries, I don't even know, studying the Torah and interpreting those laws and and arguing. And uh, this kind of argument reminds me of like the Walmart version of that. So it's like somebody ordered the Talmud from Wish.com. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it is like that, though, because they take scripture and then they interpret and reinterpret and make these incredibly incredibly minor distinctions between what's okay and not okay not okay so it's like the talmud but like wish.com that's that is so accurate (laughs) anyway i mentioned in that episode uh the episode two i mentioned that musical theater is generally okay but this one preacher had made a big deal over phantom so I wanted to give the background on that because I've been asked about it. Just one more question. So like if one preacher just like can just decide, okay, this is satanic and make a huge deal out of it. And then everyone else will eventually hear about it. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we better listen to this guy. Like it can literally be any preacher that will say yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Like, you, you have to have a platform like so other people will hear it. So if you've got a big church, you could just be like, I think this is satanic. And then everybody else who is also IFB also has to go along with it. It's just like the most decentralized, but also like that's hilarious to me. I mean, it is, but also it's the same way that any conspiracy theory gets spread. Um, Okay. I remember a couple months ago, people were spreading conspiracy theories about bricks found at construction sites near where uh, George Floyd protests were going down. Like BLM protests. Did you see any of those? No, I I've What's really funny is that um my leftist friends were posting memes about how these bricks were being planted by right wing people to make them look bad. Like don't like the memes that my leftist friends are posting are like, don't throw the bricks because this is a plant. Like this is a conspiracy theory. But what's really interesting is that my right-wing friends were also posting memes about how the left has this conspiracy to plant bricks so that protesters have something to throw. So, like, the fact that there was a construction (laughs) site. And so what I started doing is I started screenshotting. And this is why I stay friends with people I don't agree with. Because I started screenshotting the right wing memes about this is a conspiracy theory. The left is providing Bill Gates is providing these people bricks to throw during protests. I was screenshot that. And then also my left wing friends would 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 post don't break down. Don't do it. Don't throw the bricks because this is a right wing conspiracy to make us all look bad. 
Oh my god! So I would oh. screenshot them and start posting them, like cross posting them on each other's posts. And in reality, it's just like, oh, it happened to be by there a construction is- site, and there's bricks at a construction. <laughs> like, oh. protests happen in cities. There are construction sites in cities. There are bricks at construction sites. Yeah, I mean, this is why. This is why you got it. Just like so. Anyway, it, it's 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 the way that any conspiracy theory. Like, spreads. how prevalent was this conspiracy theory, though? The bricks thing or the phantom thing? The bricks thing. Um. Like, how I don't many people know. did you see posting it? Like prevalent enough that I saw people from multiple states posting it. I saw people who did not live in cities that had protests posting it. And I saw people that were like, I have some extreme leftist friends and I have some extreme right wing friends. And I was seeing both post it. So I don't know, like, I don't know how to quantify that, but I, I would say. It, I, I if I see the same thing pop up from wildly different sources that don't know each other and live three thousand miles away from each other, I assume it's pretty prevalent. I mean, it's not even a horseshoe theory anymore. It's like donut <laughs> theory. You know what I'm saying? True. <laughs> True. And anyway, 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 anyway. And now I want donuts. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So well, much. hey, they said they told you that you have to get your calorie intake up because the baby takes up like. Almost yeah, as much calories as you're gonna like your yeah, baby's body me. weight doubles in like a week, two yeah. weeks. So uh, I want I want to go back to Phantom of the Opera real quick because we got on a bit of a tangent. Um, so is this going to be one of those with the Phantom of the Opera satanic conspiracy here? Is this going to be one of those uh, a brain in the jar type stories? Like I swear, like all of the things that you guys have are like urban legends that we would tell each other in middle school no so this is different this is something that happened to this particular preacher personally <laughs> so so he tells a story um his daughter like i said she'd been given a, a cassette tape with fan like instrumental versions of phantom of the opera songs on it and he was driving her home from school and she was like hey let's listen to this cassette tape that my friend gave me and he puts it in the the cassette player um and he said that he felt a demonic spirit come into the car Ooh, yeah are you sure that he wasn't listening to the sequel to phantom because that music was demonically awful <laughs> no <laughs> <It was. laughs> i mean i've heard that love never dies is awful and like i'm okay so i'm a pretty big phantom of the opera fan um i own two different versions of it on blu-ray <laughs> Uh, but I have not seen Love Never Dies. I have actively avoided it. I've never heard the music. I bet they got J.J. Abrams to do it. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure. I have sure, one joke I make over and over. I mean, I'm pretty sure Andrew, Lo- Andrew Lloyd Webber just did a bunch of coke and wrote it, which is, I mean, come to think of it, that's my one joke that I make over and over too. Yeah. Um, no, I, like, anyway, um, this preacher went home and he looked up the lyrics to the Phantom of the Opera songs. And he finds some of these lyrics and he is just scandalized. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Think of the children, yeah. It's not that these lyrics are really that bad. But to his IFB mind, and since he was already ready to find something sinister about them, he felt like these lyrics were like totally demonic. So, okay, so here's just to give you an example of of what was catching his attention about this. This is a a little segment from Music of the Night. 
Go for it. Uh, let's see. Softly, deftly, music shall caress you. Hear it, feel it, secretly possess you. Open up your mind. Let your fantasies unwind in this darkness which you know you cannot fight. The darkness of the music of the night. Yeah, not going to lie. Music of the night is a pretty great track. I'm well known to be a bit of a musical theater skeptic, but music of the night is an absolute jam. Great song. But I can totally see how if you are paranoid about demons possessing people, you would totally lose your marbles over this. Yeah. I mean, Music of the Night is beautiful. I mean, I love Phantom is, cool. is in my top five uh, for sure. High but quality. but the, the mention of like possess you specifically, the mention of fantasies and darkness, which, you know, you cannot fight. These are the things that that made him convinced that Phantom was satanic. Yeah, and so I had some people asking me after that first that early episode where I mentioned this, why on earth what would make Phantom Satanic? So I I wanted to tell that story in more detail and clear that up for people. Yeah, so obviously Phantom of the Opera isn't allowed. So obviously these bland, overblown ballads from Hiles Anderson are allowed. But where is the limit? What are the rules here? So just before we talk about a couple specific music rules, I wanted to point out one more thing here, and that's how music is used as a form of control while within church services. Because music, what you listen to and the music that you choose to experience is controlled both in and out of church. But there's a, I think we should talk about the the ritualized aspect of this before we move forward. Yeah, go because for it. Th- yeah, this relates to both like the almost the magical power that they place on music. And this is also a topic I've been building up in the last few episodes. So I want to do this one little sidebar first. There are multiple entire books written on church music and how to manipulate the people attending your church based on music. So one of these books was written by Elaine Colston. I'm sure you remember her husband, Johnny Colston. Oh, he's the guy that drank poison. He's the, yeah, oh, he, he was going to drink poison. Yeah, he's the guy who said he'd drink poison for Jack Hiles. He actually recently passed away. I don't know if we said that on the show yet. Oh, well, rest in peace. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, well, Johnny Colston was assistant pastor and willing Jonestown victim for Jack Hiles, Elaine, his wife, was a church organist. And she still is the church organist and music director. The other really fun fact about her life is that she is the person who recruited Jenny Nischik to be a church member. Really? Yeah. Seems oh. to be just like a coincidence, but that isn't that interesting. Um, Elaine wrote a book many years ago about church music in which she said that to the church organist or to the church music director, there should be no difference between the pastor and God. So it sounds like she was the one who drank that Kool-Aid, not her husband. Yeah, unfortunately, I would agree. Um, She has been involved with some very major cover-ups at First Baptist Church of Hammond. Um, To the best of my knowledge, she was involved in the Dave Hiles Mm (sighs) cover-up. Yeah. Anyway, so her book and other books describe basic crowd control tactics. Like using fast or upbeat music at the beginning or end of church services to get people in and out of their seats quickly and like get their mood up, which is something, okay, this is not different than what a movie does with music, right? Like they, 
they use fast, you know, fast music to make you feel a certain way or slow music, or they use lyrics to correlate with what the pastor is preaching or what's going on on screen in the movie to get maximum emotional effect out of people. So this isn't necessarily nefarious of its own. It's not any different to what most churches do. Like most churches use entrance and exit music to help with crowd control. The issue is what this leads to. It leads to scenarios like I mentioned when I talked about that song on the Hiles Anderson tour playlist, the Here Am I song, uh, that was playing when I signed an illegal contract promising to go to the mission field for two years for Jack Scott. So it makes absolute sense that they would be completely terrified that their enemies are using music to manipulate and mind control and brainwash whoever hears it. Because that's exactly what they're doing. (laughs) Because they use music to very good effect to absolutely change people's lives. So if you've ever seen a video or been present at an altar call where you see hundreds or thousands of people going to the front to kneel and pray and cry, my opinion and my estimate is that 80% of those or more are brought on by effective use of music. Some people do believe in the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit may have brought on some of those experiences of religious hysteria. And I'm not here to fight that opinion. I can tell you, I have felt that presence of the Holy Spirit or religious hysteria before. Don't ask me which one it was because I have no clue. But I've, I've felt that what feels like a genuine religious experience. But I have also felt theatrical manipulation brought on by by music many many more times i think about 80 percent of those it's not genuine religious experience it's it's some kind of musical theatrical experience see i listen to the songs that you you know like the from the hiles anderson tour tapes you know there was like a a, a lot of like the in church music that you had me listen to as part of that Personally, I found it astonishing that people were actually manipulated by these cheesy, overblown ballads. But like then I remember that, you know, these people have never screamed all of the words to every rose has his thorn into a karaoke mic at two in the morning. I mean, you're right. With exposure to only this type of music, it can do a lot to move and shake you. Just like I've I've made the analogy before that seeing Jack Scott come on stage is like a cheering, yelling, take your breath away experience. Um, If you've never screamed so hard that you hyperventilated at the start of a Guns N' Roses concert 15 minutes after getting hit on by Rod Stewart. But that's another story. Anyway, if you've never experienced like a real concert, (laughs) the Jack Scott concert experience is... A mind-blowing experience. The other concept I wanted to get to before we get into rules and regulations would be the way that music can be used as a form of humiliation in just regular old church services. So this is something that's going to go by camp within the IFB. So this is mostly stuff that would be particular to the Hiles Anderson College camp. These are things that were done in Hiles Anderson College Chapel, and that's where they were picked up like a disease and spread to churches around the country. A particular example is the song Power in the Blood. So the chorus goes like this. There is power, power, wonder-working power. 
the second chorus, the song leader will instruct the crowd to sing power twice as many times. So it's like, there is power, 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 wonder-working power. And then the third time, he will tell you to sing it eight times. So it's like, there is power, 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 wonder-working power. And they will keep making you do that until there's like good audience participation. And what I've come to understand, I know this sounds trivial, but I really believe in my heart that this is a form of collective humiliation and that it is a, a cult ritual, no matter how innocuous it seems. But I thought that repeated lyrics were from the devil. Now, don't call out any hypocrisy here. <laughs> so let me let me explain, though, like why I think this is actually like a cult uh, hazing ritual. As a little kid, you know, six or eight years old, you know, you can tell a kid to sing anything and they'll sing it out super loud because they're a kid. When I was little, this practice only made me like slightly uncomfortable. And as I grew up into like preteen teenage years, this was something that I hated and I wished that the song leader wouldn't make us do it. And one of the reasons that I hated it was the, how uncomfortable the vibe got from adults around me in church when this happened. I could see, so if the song leader announced that we were going to sing this song, Power in the Blood, I could sense the tension from adults in the audience because they're hoping that he's not going to lead them into this silly like word repetition rigmarole thing. And the adults, like the more sold out they were to the IFB, the more comfortable they were with performing this thing. But adults that weren't super sold out to the IFB and people who hadn't been in church for very long would get really uncomfortable, very visibly uncomfortable, like cringy. And this is presented as like this happy, fun thing that we're all going to do together. We're going to sing a bunch of words and it's going to be silly and fun. And like the song leader has a big smile and everybody's pretending that they like it. But the older you get, the more you realize that most people are absolutely mortified and miserable trying to get this over with. Because they're being forced to like sing silly words in front of their entire community. Does that track for you? That, I mean, that makes sense, sense the way that you're explaining it. Okay. So what's happened, if you really think about this, what's happened is that you've been through a trauma bonding experience now with your fellow church members. You've all seen each other do something embarrassing. You've all been there in that embarrassing situation together. And what's more, the church has reinforced that the person behind the pulpit is allowed to order you to do something, even if it's something embarrassing or something that you don't want to do and that you will still do it. It has been reinforced that your embarrassment or eventually your suffering has no effect on the smiling face behind the pulpit. Even the guy behind the pulpit isn't doing this on purpose to hurt you. He doesn't understand how this affects others. And he doesn't understand that he's instituting this like bad experience on other people. It's just a thing you do in church sometimes until you until you think with a critical eye about how this actually affects people. Yeah, I mean, like the 10 year old kid can do it. Why can't you? Right. So it becomes like a, a, an, a club to beat people over the head with. Yeah. Is that, well, why don't you love Jesus enough to sing this out loud? 
And like adults are, you know, adults who aren't musicians don't like to sing in public. You know, some of us enjoy doing karaoke and, and some of us enjoy singing for other people. But like nor there there's a large percentage of adults who do not sing in public. Like that's not something they're comfortable with. Oh, no, no, no. Because they don't think that they're good at it. Like they don't want to be. Right. And that's a very common feeling. So like what the IFB is doing here is that it's exploiting that common feeling to bond trauma bond people to the church. So they're like they're the power in the blood song is just like one situation. There are many other ways this is instituted. So this could look like the song leader shouting out. We'll get to the beginning of the stanza and then the leader will suddenly go ladies only. And then he will mock or berate the women for not singing loud enough. This could be a song like Dwelling in Beulah Land. So there are certain points where the men are supposed to yell out different phrases. Okay, have you ever heard Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where it's like uh, reindeer games like Monopoly or like like a light bulb, like all that stuff? Okay, so there's, there's Christian songs that do the same thing. You have like different phrases that you're supposed to yell in response. And if the men aren't loud enough at yelling those phrases, the leader will call them out or like embarrass them or make them do it one at a time in front of the entire congregation. Like make one man stand up and do it in front of the congregation, which is oh horrible. That's, that's horrible. Terrible. Yeah. Like that's horrible humiliation. Like institutionalized public humiliation and manipulation by public embarrassment. Like it's all over the IFB. And this like it is has taken me this long to be able to like work through my own trauma and get the language to be able to express this to other people. But, no, but this, this makes perfect sense. But this kind of like humiliation, it's everywhere in the IFB. It's just presented with this very like shiny, clean exterior. So it can take time to work through. If you're somebody who's been through this kind of thing, you've got to work through your own trauma and then you've got to you know, learn some language for how to recognize this for what it is and how to describe it to other people. Anyway, now that I've upset myself and probably half of our audience, uh, let's talk about, now we can talk about some specific IFB music rules and guidelines. Yeah, no, let's go for it. So we talked about uh, rhythm and like the racism behind that, but the idea that music always has to have a one and three rhythm, not a two and four rhythm, that syncopation is usually bad. Um, always something to be very cautious with. Yeah. So I saw a video circulating YouTube recently or maybe Facebook um, with a, a pastor talking about this where he was like, he was using Jesus loves me as an example. He's like, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Like, he's like, here's the one and three. Mm-hmm. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Because the Bible tells me so. And he's like, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Because the Bible tells me, like, he's like, oh, that doesn't sound right. And then people were laughing at him. Everybody thought that it was hilarious. But I was trying to tell them, like, these people are for real. Like, there's a lot of people that think, like, they are 100% for real. They seriously <laughs> believe this. No, you're absolutely right. You Did you see that video? That. I scrolled past it. I wasn't in the mood that particular day. Yeah. He was 100% um, serious. And a lot of people believe that. No, that is, and that is a very good demonstration of like how simplistic this like one in three thing is, and like how strictly people hold to it. 
But what's what's funny is like I think normal people were watching this video and they weren't understanding how serious this is. No, they were like I mean, I knew that they were serious, but that's because you know we'd already talked about this before. Um, but they were all just like, "Oh, this is some crazy weirdo. This isn't an actual thing that people believe." But people actually believe this, right? And the specific allowable rhythms are like just one part of the thing. Yeah. Okay, so like in episode two, we talked about. No repeated lyrics because that's rock and roll. So we've got two and four, no repeated lyrics. Well, what else have we got? So in addition to rhythms that are and aren't allowed, and I did want to put in a three, four rhythm is allowed as long as the emphasis is on the one beat and a six, eight rhythm is allowed as far as long as the emphasis is on the one and the four. So one, two, three, one, two, three. Uh, that's fine. Um, anyway. So in addition to rhythms being prescribed, there are no audible drums allowed, even if it's on the correct beats. Um, Tempani and snare drum are sometimes exceptions because it can be a classical sound. Uh, I think timpani and snare were both used in the big choir and orchestra pieces that I put on the Hiles Anderson tour playlist. So what was the logic behind that? So drums are related to rock and roll which is as we know of the devil so drums as in like a drum kit uh, are strictly not allowed because that's a rock and roll thing okay so no drums no repeated lyrics no two and four rhythms and no lyrics about possession okay what else have we got so lyrics are a, a big deal we all know that the ifb is very particular about their theology so not only can lyrics not repeat and not talk about like possession or any other kind of sinful behavior, they also need to adhere to the IFB theology. So that really limits even Christian music. Okay, so if there's a line taken from a Bible verse that isn't like King James Version, that would be a no-no. Very possibly, depending so, on how strict your church is, yeah. That's wild because like in order to like to play or write music you have to have you have to also be a theology expert so if your song is incorrect like it's therefore not allowed so different churches will be differently strict about this some will allow like a minor difference to slide if it's a really good song um in the ifb though music is primarily meant to teach doctrine so every song has got to be schoolhouse rock except about (laughs) jesus uh pretty much uh, you also have the reverse effect where songs that have been used in the church for hundreds of years are almost pseudo scripture, which is this is something I have a personal theological issue with because songs aren't scripture. Yeah. And also, like, if you can only make music that fits into, like, really narrow parameters, you're just going to end up with a bunch of music that sounds the same. Right. And that's like, that's pretty much what the IFB has. And then it, at this point, like. They're even running out of rhymes. Like they don't have original rhymes anymore because they've rhymed everything they can possibly rhyme. (laughs) Yeah. But I did want to talk about two specific examples of songs being pseudo scripture because I feel like this is a definite claim and I don't want to let my claim go without being backed up. Yeah, go for it. So the first of these, my my examples would be uh, Fanny Crosby. She was a songwriter who wrote quite a few of the IFB's most favorite songs, including The Old Rugged Cross, which is an incredibly popular Christian hymn. Uh, Fanny Crosby was blind, and she lived much of her life in poverty. 
she relied on the small royalties she got from writing hymns. And then she also wrote secular poetry, like published herself in newspapers. And she depended on that to keep herself sheltered and fed. In the IFB, Fanny Crosby is about as close as they have to a saint. No, it's very true that this was a woman of faith and her faith did sustain her through health struggles and poverty and a marriage that ended in separation, which is never mentioned in the IFB. Weirdly, I just found out about that researching this episode that she was Oof. she got had a bad marriage and got separated. Um, nor is it ever mentioned that she could have been better off if she had been provided with health care and food and a clean and safe place to live. We don't talk about that. Instead, we just glorify her suffering, which is not great. No. Um, And then her blindness, so her disability is continually used as one of the few defining factors about her, which is also uh, problematic. But Crosby's life and her music are frequent topics of sermons. I've heard more than a few sermons where a scripture was mentioned, but the hymn was the actual text of the sermon. And I've heard at least a few biographical sermons about her life. I even had to study her life in school. Well, are her hymns any good? I would say yes, as far as hymns go. Um, a lot of them are my preferred style for hymns. Like I personally, I like hymns that could be described as like grand, like choral hymns, like A Mighty Fortress is Our God or Holy, Holy, Holy. I prefer that to like the old fashioned camp meeting sound and the camp meeting sound is more what Crosby wrote. Uh, but outside of my personal taste, I think they're good. She was a talented poet. Um, interestingly, they're, all of her hymns use some kind of reference or metaphor for sight or vision. So that's like one thing that she wrote about a lot was, was being excited to go to heaven because – she wouldn't be blind in heaven and she would get to see. So that's anyway, that's an interesting point about that her. That is interesting. Wow. Right. And it, I think it very clearly shows that she was really a person of faith. And this really like this idea of her life having a purpose and, and going to heaven and meeting Jesus, like that was really what was getting her through all the terrible things she went through. She's going to go to heaven and then Jesus is going to touch her and restore her sight. Right. Yeah. And she was sincere about that. And I think her sincerity gets her some points with me. Um, my, my issue isn't her hymns. My issue is like the worship of her as a person and like huh. how so it's like IFB are all Beyonce stands, but they're all Fanny Crosby stands. Yeah. But they've made her like this mythical figure the and they never hive. talk. They never bother to talk about like her, her difficult marriage that ended in separation, which is something that they shame people for. And they never bother to talk about like. It's like, oh, well, she was poor. They want to glorify her for being poor rather than talking about how somebody should have given her food and a place to stay. <laughs> this poor blind lady needed a, a home and some basic food. Yeah, somebody should My have goodness. Anyway. looked after that. Right. So they want to glorify her suffering instead. And, and that's my issue. There is one hymn which I abhor to hear about far more than I hate hearing a blessed word about Fan Fanny Crosby. And that is, It Is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spafford. It Is Well is actually a really beautiful hymn. It's one of my favorites, both lyrically and musically. And I cannot stand to hear it. Because of how done to death it was. 
in the church. So Horatio Spafford was, just to give you his backstory, he was a lawyer who lost a lot of property and lost his four-year-old son in the Chicago fire, which is tragic. Yeah, awful Uh, thing to have happen to somebody. Yeah. A few years later, as he was trying to rebuild his life, rebuild his business, uh, he sent his wife and his four daughters to England on a ship. And he intended he had to stay behind in Chicago and catch up on some business. And then he was going to catch the next ship over after he got that taken care of. The boat carrying his entire family sank and all four, all four of his daughters died. So after losing his son and all everything he owned, a few years later, he lost all four of his daughters and his wife sent him a telegram when she, so his wife made it to London alive and she sent him back a telegram that read saved alone. And so uh, this is heartbreaking. That's terrible. This is truly awful. Um, so Spafford traveled to England. He drops everything. He travels to England and he, his ship is taking the same path across the Atlantic as the ship that carried his family that crashed. So he, he asked the captain of the ship to wake him up or alert him when the ship passed over the spot where his daughters died because he wanted to like do a little memorial to his daughters. So Spafford stood on the deck so that he they came and woke him up because they happened to pass over that spot at like two in the morning. So he stood on the deck in the middle of the night as they crossed over the place where they his his four daughters died. Uh, and he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with this story. This is a That's beautiful a story. Wow. It is. It's a story about a man who has faced unspeakable tragedy and pain, and he has gotten to he's in this in this moment that nobody would want to experience ever and he's leaning on his faith to get him through that and he's writing this beautiful hymn um he is expressing so it is well with my soul kind of expresses like the 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 lyrics are uh when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul so he's expressing like coming to terms and like that God is giving him peace about the tragedy that he's faced. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a lovely story. Here's the problem. One pastor school that I attended at First Baptist Church of Hammond, they made this story the theme of the entire goddamn week. They had just started up their graphics design department. Remember in the Scoff episode, I talked about he had like upped the budget for like the graphics design department and trying to make everything like cooler and slicker and he put these screens into the auditorium where they could play videos for the whole congregation like 20 foot projector screens yeah well this is what this was early after that had happened so he wanted to show off his new like graphics design and video departments and the new screens that he had put in so he had them design a video that talked about the making of this hymn like like the story of Horatio Spafford like what had happened uh and the video was moving and it was it was well done and you know this is an IFB church. No one had ever seen a video that was well put together before. <laughs> uh, it was like IFB in like the mid 2000s. So they played this video and they played it a bunch of times because they wanted to, you know, really play up like, look how good our graphics design department is and look what a cool video, like what a cool story. It's a very inspiring story. 
And then, so we went back home from pastor school and then people tell the story in church at home so that it can inspire the people back home too. And then the youth pastor told it to us in youth group to inspire us. But I already heard it at pastor school and also in the church service. And then the youth pastor is telling it to me to inspire us. Uh, And then we went back to First Baptist Church of Hammond for a youth conference that summer. And I guess they hadn't sold out all the merch that they made with lyrics of this song. They made merch, like picture frames and coffee mugs and crap with like the lyrics of this song on it and i'm sure that they didn't pay royalties to the people who songs public domain is too old so of course they didn't so we went back to first baptist church for youth conference and guess what they're doing again playing this goddamn video like every day at youth conference and by this point i've seen this video like a dozen times and it's burned into my brain and i have heard this song like a hundred freaking times and i've heard this story i've heard this story told right i've heard it told wrong i've heard it told well i've heard it told poorly and i am so over it so then i go to church camp like two weeks after youth conference right and guess what the people who were leading the church camp were also at that youth conference and or that pastor school so guess what the theme for our church camp was well within my soul yes (laughs) so well within my soul is like the ifb version of wonderwall yeah, it's a perfectly okay or even a little better than okay piece of music, but it was everywhere for years. And I got to the point where I had it so well memorized, people would like, people would say Henry Spafford instead of Hor- Horatio Spafford. And I would just sit there in rage like it's Horatio. Like you don't know this. People story. would what say three daughters about? instead of four daughters. And I would just sit there. It's four daughters. Like, <laughs> the rage and like in a way that only like a 16, 17 year old person can be <laughs> ragey about something. I just so it's at, that's, it's at the point where this beautiful piece of music that used to be one of my favorite hymns, um, one of the prettiest hymns you can play on piano is like it inspires this reaction of rage because it was used as like pseudo scripture. So it's applied to these moralizing lessons, just like scripture would be, you know, Spafford's children were allowed to die so that he would learn to love God more or Spafford's children were allowed to die so that he could write this hymn that would make other people love God more. Or like Spafford is a hero because he was surrendered to God's will. And he wrote a song, even though his children were dead. Uh, the, the telegram that said saved alone, that was used for some kind of moral, but I had stopped listening by then. So I can't remember what it was. Anyway, can you tell that I have a very visceral reaction to this? (laughs) Yeah. I have never been able to stand it again. Can't stand it. Uh, so anyway, that's all of that to that was a really long rant, but what I wanted to say is that songs are not scripture and they should not be used as basis or source for teaching or preaching. And also don't do a perfectly good song to death by doing it over and over again. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. You know what? That's all right. Because I rant all the time on this show. (laughs) You know what? You're right. I think it was my turn. (laughs) It was your turn. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Gavriel here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now back to the show. Okay. Yeah. So one thing, I want to point out um, is that on this podcast, because I do say a lot of things that probably offend the sensibilities of some Christians, um, I harbor no hate in my heart for Christianity as a religion. Uh, Please don't read my Twitter. And I will never cast doubt on the veracity of the beliefs that Christians have, and I will not cast out upon the fact that the vast majority of Christians in the world are, you know, trying to use their religious beliefs as an inspiration to leave better lives. Um, See, yeah, as a I preference mean, to what I'm going to say as a preface, I mean, I think this is where the interfaith aspect of our podcast works in reality. Like you say some stuff sometimes that I just don't agree with. Every once in a while you say stuff that I really don't like, but I'm sure I do the same to you here and there. You would never accuse me or another Christian person of not being sincere about what we say we believe unless there's a, a an obvious reason to doubt sincerity, um, like ridiculous funding rules and leaps of logic that are just so out of bounds. Yeah. There's a thin line between irreverent and disrespectful, but I really feel like you do a lot to stay on the right side of it. Well, I like to think that I walk that line every day of my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because on this podcast – we are not the ones who are obsessed with ideological purity or even agreement here, but Hey, we can still be friends. So I personally, even if I personally doubt the details of the story of Jesus's life, um, as Christians tell it, I do have to admit that it is a very compelling story. And as a compelling story, um, with legendary language used to tell it, it translates very well into musical inspiration. And, I will freely admit that, you know, any day of the week that Christians have some absolute bangers, you know what I'm saying? Like Hallelujah Chorus, that's a banger. Ave Maria, that's a banger. If I could have a beer with Jesus, you'd better believe that one's a banger. If I could have a beer with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're talking about a, a country song, right? Yeah. If oh, I God. could have a beer with Jesus. Yeah. Oh man, that song is legendary. I mean, I remember what so I remember when that song came out. Um mind you, this is in what, like 2012. 
I I wasn't really listening to the country music uh, then, really. Uh, I kind of thought it was funny in the prospect that like having a beer with Jesus um, is kind of like a funny idea in the song, but that the sentiment behind the song, you know, it felt really heartfelt, felt really authentic. Like the singer, uh, who was it by? Thomas Rhett. He was singing out of like a real position of, of like conviction. So I think it's the perfect like kind of humor because like at the root of like a good joke there's got to be some truth um but there also it also has to break expectations a little bit so that's how you that's how you be funny you you tell the truth but you break expectations so this is a sort of situation where the song is funny but it's not funny because we're laughing at him for me we're you know we're laughing with him because you're like oh this is this idea having a beer with jesus that's a little bit zany a little bit goofy but He's like, yeah, but I really want to have a beer with Jesus. Like, so, but I want to know, what did you guys think about this song? Did you guys hear about this song? I do remember hearing about this song. Uh, I guess my memory must be a little scrambled because I would have thought it came out earlier than it did. Um, I, I do feel like I've heard IFB preachers talk about this song, but the only thing they really had to say was about the beer. Like the idea of wanting to speak to Jesus or like wanting to skip the line, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to die, but I would love to like have 15 minutes with Jesus. That's a common thought in, in IFB theology. They were just like really upset about the idea of Jesus having beer. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember hearing anything negative about the rest of the lyrics, which like you said, are really sweet and heartfelt. <laughs> See, why is it bad that Jesus would have a beer though? Because didn't he turn the water into wine? I mean, I think I've told you before, he turned the water into non-alcoholic grape juice. I don't know if you've told me. Like, I know that you've told me this before, but I think that it's the first time we've mentioned this on the podcast, and I still find this to be, like, the funniest thing (laughs) every time we talk. (laughs) Because, like, it's the perfect example for me of, like, IFB pastors being so completely full of So I bring it up all the time. Oh, dear. Um. We're we're gonna have to have an entire episode about the specific alcohol percentage of whatever Jesus turned the water into. Um, I know this seems incredibly pedantic, but I promise I can give you a whole episode <laughs> out of it. Um, the basic idea is that they use scripture to prove that, uh, or you know, quote unquote, prove that alcohol is a sin and Jesus was sinless. Therefore, Jesus could not have turned anything into alcohol. I will give you the scripture proofs, and and we'll see what you think then. Anyway, um, what I wanted to know, (laughs) what I wanted to know is, would you have a beer with Jesus if you were given the chance? You know, I don't really drink beer because it has too many carbs, but I'd have a White Claw with Jesus Um, or maybe a cognac with Jesus. Do you think Jesus likes Hennessy or Cavassier? See, I feel like Jesus drinks like whatever people around him are drinking. Like he's just like a chill guest. You know, like like if was, he's like, oh, we're having martinis. Sure. Let me go to, like put my tile and I'll have martinis with you. Or he's like, uh, oh, you're drinking PBR Boilermakers with like whatever whiskey, well whiskey. He's like, sure, I'll, I'll do that with you. I was going to say at this point in pregnancy, a vodka tonic with or without Jesus just sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, I could also go for tequila shots with Jesus or like Jaeger bombs with Jesus. I mean, really, whatever. So what you're saying is that if I were drinking Incredible Hulks, that Jesus would drink them with me. 
I'm I feel like I'm gonna regret asking this, but what is an incredible Hulk? Hennessy and hypnotic. Oh dear. It's green like the Hulk. <laughs> you drink it and it makes you wanna fight. You'll wake up <laughs> you won't remember <laughs> shit. Oh dear. Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you went this is what this is what you got out of going to college college. I feel <laughs> <laughs> this is what I actually missed by not going to real college. Anyway, theologically, yes, I like I do think that Jesus would drink that with you. And I'll tell you why. Jesus came to earth to live as a human. Philippians 2 says, uh, this is ESV, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There are many scripture references to Jesus being fully human. And this is something that I'm going to be studying a little. Like I'm, I'm getting more into like actually studying theology. And not just, you know, going with, with what somebody else has told me or what my gut feeling is. So I'll update you as I learn more. Right. But a lot of Christians believe that Jesus living a life as fully human was part of the redemptive story and a necessary part of the redemptive process. Some Christians disagree, some Christians, but a lot of Christians believe that if Jesus did not have a full and complete human experience, then he could not have been the Savior. Um. So anyway, I do think that Jesus would drink nasty shots with you because that's part of the human experience. And they both ended up in jail. <laughs> just like in the Bible. <laughs> oh no. Bail is 20 shekels of silver. That sounds like expensive bail. Like you and Jesus had like an Aussie kind of night or something. I mean, it's really not. 20 shekels is like $6. <laughs> but that nice. okay, that does bring me to something that I want to talk about because I think that the best christian music that there is or at least my favorite um and by christian music i'm talking about like music that has overt christian themes christian theology i'll tell you um i immediately think of like country music and in particular i think of like classic country music so you're talking like johnny cash yeah okay. like johnny cash like what so when i was a kid i had the johnny cash lab at san quentin cd and johnny cash if i recall correctly uh southern baptist um and had that a lot right. of yeah, a lot of his music reflected that. So when you were growing, uh, was that kind of music allowed? So that is a very specific question. And I'm going to have to to backpedal on an answer a little bit. Personally, I knew a few Johnny Cash songs. Um, the Elvis version of His Eye is on the Sparrow, that was allowed. Certain Johnny Cash songs, like especially if he did like a religious song, um, certain of his songs were allowed. We wouldn't have had like a Johnny Cash CD, though, unless it was all hymns. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So like some of his topics and some of his language were considered not okay. But if he was singing hymns, it was generally okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So... You could listen to, like, Daddy sang bass all you want. Sure. Um, Randy Travis gospel albums were also generally considered all right in my church. 
Um, I think that like I think Peter Paul and Mary did like some some like hymns. So like if a secular artist did a hymn, that was generally okay unless they really put a lot of drums in it. Um, there were people who felt like I don't know, like Randy Travis or like Johnny Cash hymns were too much for actual church. Um, but I had Randy Travis on my iPod and I didn't feel like I would get any trouble for it. I also wanted to mention, though, there is a significant portion of the IFB who would never allow any kind of Johnny Cash music because he has a reputation for, like, doing drugs, drinking, bit of philandering, whatever. Yeah, well, by his own omission, he describes himself as, like, the biggest sinner of them all. Well, right. And here's the philosophy in a nutshell. Like, we talked earlier about the ear gate and the eye gate. So listening to someone sing about Jesus, if they are still actively doing bad things like drinking or, I don't know, wearing skinny jeans – that's still corrupting your heart and potentially letting demons in. The other half of it is your reputation or your good name. If you associate with somebody who is doing bad things, even by just having their CD in your house or your car, then you're putting your stamp of approval on the things that you are doing that makes you appear less holy to the outside world. So like if your coworker sees that you have a Johnny Cash CD in your car, your coworker, you lose face with your coworker. They're not going to see you as as much righteousness. Like They wouldn't see you as righteously as they would otherwise. So then your coworker is less likely to find Jesus through you because you had a Johnny Cash CD in your car. See, f- this for me is a huge, is like a treasure hunt. Because like for the length of this show, we've been talking about like what we used to listen to and like trying to figure out if we ever listen to the same thing at the same time, like when it came to secular, secular music, the stuff that you were listening to, like suffice to say, was not what I was listening to. Like the Johnny cash that we could have been listening to the same thing, but like the secular music that you were listening to um, was not because you told me at one point that you were raised on the carpenters. Yeah. My parents really loved some older acts like, the Carpenters, John Denver, the Mamas and the Papas. Um, so I heard a little bit of that kind of music growing up. Oldies with minimal drums and no objectionable lyrics. Um, in the church I grew up in, it was kind of considered a gray area. So each family could decide for themselves. Um, there are plenty of people who were way stricter than that. It was just like my parents were sentimental about that kind of music. So they kind of let it slide. Yeah, see, the Mamas and the Papas I listened to, and I'm surprised because they played at the Monterey Pop Festival. Like, you would have thought they'd have been uh, too hippie-friendly for anyone remotely IFB. But I'll well, tell see, you, that's, man. that's a band my parents liked before they were IFB. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. okay. See, you, so you told me to listen to the Carpenters, um, and I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. That, it is so disappointing to me because I just, I truly love them. Ah, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what it was. So you told me to listen to the song "On Top of the World," right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I put that song on, and the verse was fine. And then the strings come in, and I'm just like, "Nope." Just Aww. like over, over the top. It was cheesy. I couldn't do it. I I love that song. I think that's the melody to that song is so cute. It's just yeah. like so disappointed. I mean, okay. So I mentioned the Carpenters to my parents. Um. And my, our parents are about the same age. My, maybe my parents are a few years older than yours. But uh, I mentioned the Carpenters to my parents, and I got the biggest eye roll from my dad. 
And like he, you know, he was telling me that when he was in high school, they were all over the radio and he wasn't into it, you know, because it was like easy listening. And he he was like, it's kind of bland. No, no offense to the Carpenters fans out there. Uh, like they could be great musicians, but it's just not for me. Um, and there's no edge to the songs. It's just kind of nice. But I suppose that sort of music, like. I, I guess the music that he would have been listening to would have been too objectionable, but like, what was your dad listening to? Like late seventies, early eighties, late seventies, early 80s. I don't know. See in the eighties, he was in medical school. So a lot of, they, they missed out on a lot of the music in the eighties in this, like in the seventies, when he was in like high school, college, he was like, okay, you know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Jefferson airplane, um, Bob Dylan, uh, that sort of thing. He told me actually that he went and saw a uh, uh, Rod Stewart in the faces one time. His ears, yeah, his ears were ringing for a week. Yeah. Oh my God. We'll tell that story eventually. <laughs> my future yeah. ex-husband. <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna keep yeah. teasing it until we do. No. Um, no, see that that totally makes sense. Like like Led Zeppelin would not have been allowed. Allman Brothers would not have been allowed. The band would not have been allowed. Yeah. Right. And like all of that stuff is, is super classic and worth listening to. Yeah. Um, and my parents wouldn't, it wasn't anything was allowed or not allowed before they got into the IFB. It's just, I think culturally they were on the side of more like, they like Charlie Daniels before they got the IFB. I don't even know who Charlie Daniels is, but I'm sorry. You what? He was Charlie Daniels. The devil went down to Georgia. Oh yeah. Yeah. That guy, That's that fine. guy. Um, that song, anyway, that song's all right. I think it's just different tastes. It, it is different tastes. It was, you know, um, but like, so if a piece of music isn't in any way objectionable, but also isn't religious music, is it allowed? Like, say, like, because you were telling me that you were listening to. So what were you listening to at home that wasn't just show tunes and Disney? A large part of the IFB allows classic love songs um hold on let me answer your question we were listening to this jesus music at home primarily um that is what you're expected to do you're expected my condolences most of your music most of your music consumption this is why i had like all those hac tour songs on my ipod because it is expected that most of your music consumption be jesus music Outside of that, um, a lot of IFB churches allow classic, like, 50s doo-wop, 50s big band. So I was listening to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Tony Bennett, uh, Glenn Miller, that sort of thing. So I always think that it's funny that, like, that sort of classic vocal pop is okay, especially since it's so heavily associated with, like, a sinful lifestyle. Yeah, I have no idea why this is allowed because – like you just said, a lot of these people are strongly associated with alcohol, cigarettes, gambling, maybe heroin. Yeah. Uh, one thing I remember is that these songs were recommended to married couples. So these are these are like like you might hear "Come Fly with Me" at a wedding, or, or like at a Valentine banquet. That was a common song at Valentine banquets. Um, there were a lot of like veiled references. Like it's very euphemistic the way that it would be talked about, but like. Some music is, uh, you know, borderline sinful because it makes you feel sexual thoughts, but it's allowable in a Christian marriage. So there's some music that is not allowed when you're single, but is allowed when you're married. 
sort of like songs they they call them romance songs because they have to have a euphemism for everything um and that's encouraged for married couples and i do remember like people referencing like their sex playlists but i don't remember (laughs) no like it like in hiles anderson chapel like how to make a sex playlist for you and your spouse like when you get a spouse that was a sermon not a whole sermon but it was referenced yeah is there a book on it there is and we are going to review it one of these days when i can find it on ebay without giving any money to the original publisher oh my god i don't even care if you've got to give money to the original <laughs> publisher i want to read this i'll get a hold of it for you um uh, i i i have found it i just haven't found it for as cheap as i want it yet yeah um <laughs> is that what the some of the business banking is for um let's see i think like, I don't remember, like, any specific artists that were recommended for that. It, that may just be because I, like, blocked it out because I was embarrassed by the topic. Um, the impression that I got is that if it's between you and your spouse, the rules can be bent. There are also, like, references, like, on I, in IFB marriage books, you'll see, like, dancing with your partner, and they literally mean, like, a waltz. Or dancing for your partner, and they do not mean a waltz, uh, which, of course, wouldn't be allowed outside of marriage. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've I've got to ask, though, like, so what music is, quote unquote, recommended for IFB sex playlist? Like it's so it's not going to be like I'm going to put on some Prince or I'm going to put on no. some Sade or I'm going to put on, you know, Zeppelin, whole lot of love or I'm going to put on like the weekend, like high for this, like. No. no, like none of the none of the classic like. No, I think I, I looked up one of the most often recommended IFB marriage instrumental CDs. Yes, this exists. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this exists. <laughs> there are more than one. I just looked up one of the more popular ones. I unfortunately I looked everywhere. I couldn't find a track list. Um. The description for the CD is um, 21 romantic instrumental melodies enhanced with the sounds of ocean waves. So, like, spa music? I think, like, Enya, maybe? Oh, my God. Like, the I- oh, the IFB are f***ing to literal elevator music. Like, waiting room music. Oh, my God. Like... <laughs> waiting room music yeah. it's not gonna be like like there's no like there's not gonna be like <laughs> genuine pony like i'm just a bachelor oh, no like like no like you've got to <laughs> wonder like is like is the response gonna be like pavlovian like so you're taking your kids to the dentist you know and you're you're in the waiting room at the dentist office and you hear that sweet sweet music and you're getting a little bit turned on <laughs> I mean, your God-honoring sex playlist isn't the only place Frank Sinatra songs can be found in the IFB. (laughs) Okay, we're okay. Okay, so so. (laughs) I'm sorry. I gotta. We got. We gotta move on. Yeah. So where where else can they find uh, 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 Frank Sinatra? (laughs) So you know the song "My Way." Yeah, great song. Classic song. Okay. I'm not real sure how to explain this. I'm going to do my best. 
someone has taken the melody of that song and completely rewritten the lyrics. Oh my God, please. So please tell me that you have the lyrics to this with you. I do. Okay. And there are multiple versions of this out there. They all have the same basic gist, but very different lyrics. I just picked one for the purpose of this podcast. You can find multiple more yeah. on the internets. But here's here's the Baptist version of my way. A new beginning's here, and so I'll face a brighter future. He said he'd come again and take me home in his great rapture. But I'd lived a life of sin so much that I could never have faith. Oh, no, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, and so my sin to him I mention. He led me to his word, and then I heard of his redemption. His good plan for my life brought gratitude. Now all I can say Righteous Lord, thank you for this. I did it God's way. Uh, yes, there are times gross. I'm sure he knew when I bit off more than I can chew. But through it all, I had no doubt. I'll call on him and he'll work it out. Jesus faced it all and he stood tall. I'll do it God's way. Why? <laughs> I made Why? it through that without crying. <laughs> Um, so there's a whole second verse. I'm not going to make you sit through it. Why? It's like you guys are the anti Weird Al. You take a good song, you suck the life out of it instead of making it about cheeseburgers. <laughs> I just, I can't get over this self-righteousness here. Like the concept, of, like yeah, saying that you did it my way is too proud and that you're denying everything that God has done for oh. you, which that fits the IFB like philosophy. But somebody needed to rewrite an entire song about it. Like, they didn't even go write their own song. <laughs> they just parodied someone else's. And badly, like, the 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 cadence of the words is so bad. Like, can you imagine hearing a singer try to sing that, like, convoluted cadence? Ugh. Uh, if you're not into big band rewritten as hymns, classical music is also really encouraged in the IFB. Uh, for everybody except for boys under 18-ish. Why are boys under 18 not supposed to listen to classical music? According to several IFP preachers that I have personally heard say this, uh, it will turn them gay. So classical music will make you gay, but show tunes are fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to respond to this. Like... If, if if you have a son and you want him to be good at music and you like you want to get him like piano lessons and you want to get him like playing trumpet or violin like how do you how do you teach him music from a young age if classical music is absolutely trife I mean parents who give their sons musical training are just the ones who don't really believe this um a lot of people believe like their actual belief is more like too much classical will make the kid gay, but like a little bit is fine. So if your kid wants to learn music, then it's fine. As long as you also make him do a bunch of manual labor. So not only is he going to be good at music, but he's also going to be like super jacked. Yeah. Sounds like a Baptist dreamboat, man. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, some, somebody who I used to know who got cut from the Duggars episode because I didn't have enough time to talk about his connection to the Duggars was that, um, anyway, it was pretty common in the IFB for kids to have some amount of music education. Like most people don't take lessons from like a teacher 
at a music store, a lot of people take piano lessons from like the church piano player um, or somebody else in the church who is good at music. People are expected to put their children in like the children's choir and their teenagers in the teen choir. And those choirs typically meet before the Wednesday night service. And then it's also common for teens in the church who play instruments to do instrumental music for church services. I mentioned that kids and and teen choir meet before Wednesday night service. Um, The other thing is that adult choir practice meets after the Wednesday night service. And I know this may not seem important, but I wanted to point it out for a reason. This is another form of controlling people's time and making sure they aren't home early enough to see anything on TV on Wednesday night. So I am personally a proponent of getting kids into music lessons as soon as possible, you know, like soon as they can read, get them started reading music, soon as they can like got fine motor skills developed, get them like get an instrument in their hands, even like even if it's not formal training, just get them like used oh, yeah. to it. Like my parents got me piano lessons when I was barely like six years old. So I was wondering what was your music education like when you were growing up? I mean, I, I could not agree more with, with getting kids started young. Um, my personal thing is when a kid is confident reading at a first grade level, yeah. they're ready to start reading music. Uh, because if they read music young, they'll be able to read music forever. And I, I really hope that, that this kid and any future kids will be as enthusiastic about music as their dad and I both are. Yeah. Um, I started piano lessons when I was about six or seven. But even before that, I was watching my mom play piano for church. So I would always ask my parents if we could sit close to the piano, if my mom wasn't playing so I could watch whoever it was. I loved piano since before I can remember. So that was the instrument I wanted to take. And I took lessons from six or seven until I was in college. And then I was in children's choir and teen choir all the way through school. Um, usually I was in a school, a school choir and a church choir at the same time. I was playing piano for for a church. I was playing like special music and offering music from the time I was eight or nine. And then I was playing piano for church services from the time I was 13 or 14 and playing for church music groups. My dad and my mom both play guitar. So they each taught me a few things. I'm not super good at it, but I can play chords. And there were just instruments lying around my house growing up, which is one of the best things I think about my childhood. Like my parents, for some completely unknown reason my parents had an accordion in the house i still don't know why but when i was bored i would pick up the accordion and taught myself a couple songs there was a mandolin in our house huh yes for the accordion oh god i can play a few songs on accordion which is probably something you did not know about me no i didn't i was just gonna say like i'm trying to imagine like a small like living in a house you leave an accordion lying around like don't leave the accordion (laughs) lying around the child might get to it and start to try to play it like there were just like instruments in my house always like there was a mandolin in our house so i learned i can you know if i absolutely have to play mandolin I can't. I'm not good at it, but I can do it. Like somebody bought me a cheap student, like someone in the church bought me like a student violin, like a $50 violin from China for a Christmas present. So I picked up violin. So I was always just like picking up a new instrument and I was really encouraged. Um, I didn't really get good at anything but piano, but I had a very rich music education for as much as I didn't hear popular music i still i was exposed to a lot of instruments and, and a lot of classical 
Yeah, piano is the main thing. Oh, piano is always piano is like the love of my life. It's always been the main thing. I would um, when I was a little toddler, I would sit and pretend to play piano on the table all yeah, the time. And I, I mean, anybody who listens to this show, I mean, you'll know that that really paid off because if you listen to the music that we do on the show, like the the the, the song from the show is all original. Like I played guitar, Sadie played piano, and we both sang. I sang the lead vocals, she sang the backing vocals. Um, yeah, well, we she wrote that the piano song. on it. Yeah, we wrote that song. Well, we wrote it together like a year ago, and that was way before we ever had a podcast. Yeah, I mean, that was before we even talked about having a podcast. Like, I think that was something that we talked about in episode two, because the first time you came over to my house to work on music, uh, that was like one of the songs that we worked on. And if I remember correctly, I had like half of the chorus and one of the verses worked out and kind of like a melody. And then we wrote the rest of it and put it together on that day. That does sound right. Uh, I think I wrote... I think I wrote the chord structure for the chorus, like the 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 couple like the minor turns, like a, a more creative chord structure. Yeah, that no, you're right about that because like maybe when first I had maybe a little bit of like a bluesier soul kind of thing going for it, but then you brought in the piano and that changed it more to like a southern gospel, like a classic country and western type song. I mean, the song is just so similar. The melody that you wrote is so similar to the music I grew up with and the harmonies of like southern gospel music. You sang me the chorus and I could hear exactly what the harmony needed to be. And yep. you were like, try it this way. And I was like, no, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> I was like, play it. <laughs> no, because I was like, I was like, sit down, play your little guitar part, sing your, sing your melody. Yeah. And then I just sat down and it just like one or two cake, one or two takes. I played the piano score and I sang the harmony and I was like, this is how it's going to sound. We're going to do this kind of walk down and this is how it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, you, you. I mean, you were definitely the one that came up with the vocal harmonies. Well, I'll tell you. You want to know what my favorite part of the song is? Oh yeah. Okay, so my favorite part of the song, and uh, is so on the last chorus, like you guys will hear this in the outro. In the last chorus, uh, it's the the part where it's after there'll be no pollution. You hear this little thing with the piano where it does like a chromatic scale. It's like three notes up and back down. It goes da na 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 na. Like every time I hear that song. I go back and listen to that part where it's like, like there'll be no pollution. Like that's how it goes. I just really love it. Well, I'm so I don't glad know, the piano. Re- the piano really like makes the song for me. It, it makes it. Makes and it the piano was was recorded uh, during quarantine times. No, it's true. I like. So that one was I, like the piano was like one take. Um, no, we recorded the song like in different places. Yeah, we recorded it all over wow. all over the place. But no, the piano was was like. I think I did the piano in one take because I was just sitting and listening and just playing along. And then I finally found one that was like, okay, that's good. And sent it to you. But the absolute truth is like a lot of IFB pianists and like people who play piano accompaniment, we all have our little tricks and like musical phrases. And that little trick is something it's similar to something that my church pianist did growing up. And she was my music teacher for a while and then, like, some of my favorite Hiles Anderson tour group pianists, like, they have a very Southern gospel sound. So that little lick is something I do a lot, but it has roots in these people that I heard, like, 10 years or 20 years ago. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is I think you like the piano so much because it's so authentic to the way that I play and to my history with my instrument. Like, I've been, I've been playing piano most of my life. And I've been playing this style of music most of my life. So what you hear on our track is very much very authentic. Like that's my style. Yeah. 
And so if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that a few weeks back, we said that we were going to release the full song, Rolling River of Time, which is the podcast theme song today. Um, And this is the song that we're talking about here. And this is something that people have been literally begging us to do for a while now. Like, it's 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 true, you know. Um, And so if you want to listen to it, you can go to my page, my page on on whatever streaming service you use. Gavriel Hakoen, G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. We'll have a link to it. and you go on whatever streaming service you use and the full song is now available. So um, we thought that it would be fun, you know, when we put the song out, which is today uh, to, you know, just talk about it on the episode, because really that song is like the origin of us deciding to do this podcast to begin with, because, you know, we basically became friends through doing music and through writing this song. And this song, at least when we were writing it, it has a lot of, things to do with you know what we may have gone through directly related to our personal journeys and that's reflected to the lyrics i mean that's so true like we had written this song before we ever knew there was gonna be a podcast and then yeah we started recording the podcast and we knew we needed a theme song and thematically this song that we had already written several months before just made so much sense yeah. And like the words, so the words are like a lot about like personal growth, personal change. And so like the second verse was a thing that was the thing on the song that like I had first written and it immediately like, you know, this made me feel like you were the right person to help me finish writing the song because you would like, this was probably just a week or two after you told me about your upbringing and in the cult and stuff. And so in the verse of the song, I was inspired by the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. Um, so there's a reference, a line where I reference like changing my name, which, uh, and I think the next line is I have seen and I have struggled with beings divine and live to tell the tale. Um, when I showed you that line, you knew exactly what I was going for, exactly what I was talking about. Um, and then everything just kind of went from there. It just kind of meshed really well. For me, uh, I think if, uh, for me, my favorite part is, is a little different. It's the hook. It's the, I'm so thankful I decided to change my ways. Um, you know, of course, change and getting comfortable with change has been the main theme of my life for like seven years. Um, I think when I was – the reason that the, the concept of change is so important to me, when I was in the IFB, I felt like not changing was the most important thing. You know, we don't change our standards. We don't change our rules. We do things the the old fashioned way. And like, you know, God doesn't want us to ever change. Uh, And getting comfortable with change when I left was the hardest thing because I felt like I went from an environment of no change to an environment where my life was defined by change. And, uh, you know, everything, everything changed the music I listened to and, how I looked and how I dressed and, and how I every how I did every part of my life changed. And thank goodness I'm not in that stage anymore because that was exhausting. Um, <laughs> but I know like that period of time where change is so prevalent in my life and like being so intensely uncomfortable with change, but working through that, that is what made me who I am. Yeah. And there's also a sort of theme of realizing that you missed out on some stuff due to where you were in your mindset, but then also trying to be at peace with that. Right. That's another another major theme is like being at peace. It's not the positivity gospel BS of like God intended for you to suffer and to thank him for it. Oh, that's nonsense. Um, it is. 
It, but it's not that. It, it, being at peace is not that. Being at peace is a sense of acceptance. Like I am learning and becoming more able every day to accept what I've been through, good and bad, and just being just being open to making peace with all of that and moving on to the rest of my life. And I think this song, like it's the the simple words of this song that, that that's the deeper meaning for me. Yeah, like being at peace. Well, you know what else I'm really excited about? <laughs> Sorry, that was super deep. <laughs> um, oh, that but, was super deep. But you know what I'm excited about with releasing this song as well? No, tell me. I can use it in the background of my TikToks now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If you were a TikTok creator, please use our song in your TikToks. <laughs> yes, I'm so going to use this in all of my cult-related TikToks. Yeah, no, it's because we might get rich from that because we own 100% of the rights of the song. Yes, that is my secret plan. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, like, it, it is really exciting for us to be releasing new music. And I like, I know I get so excited every time I release music and I get excited to talk about it. And this song, this is a song that people have been asking us to put out for a while. Like, uh, people have been like, when are you going to release the theme song? When are you going to release the theme song? Like, my DMs are full of it on Instagram, on Twitter um yeah me too (laughs) into the podcast account yeah people keep like people have emailed us asking us when it's going to come out so now you can listen to it um you can go and stream it you can download it you can actually you know what you send us a screenshot of you uh putting it on a playlist and we'll give you a special shout out on our instagram or something uh we'll we'll do something to let you know that you're appreciated send us a screenshot of of you putting it on a playlist yeah let Um, us um, let us know what you think about it um we're we're excited. I want to get. We are excited, and yeah, and we're excited to be talking about the song that is playing in the background right now because it is time for us to end this episode. Um, it's been a fun one where we talked about a lot of things about how music can be a uh, force for uh, brainwashing, for you know, for a real tool for that sort of thing. But it's also great because it can be a force for healing, a force for self expression, and and. A, a, a force to make you really feel things. And um, uh and we we talked about having a beer with Jesus. I would love to have a beer with Jesus. Uh now this one was a ramble, but I'm I'm glad we did it. I think we hit a lot of important stuff. Yeah, super fun. Anyway, uh if you like this podcast, uh you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Leaving Eden Podcast or on on Twitter, I think it's Leaving Eden Pod. Uh Sadie, you want to plug your social? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can also follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. What about TikTok? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on TikTok. I use the podcast account. It's Leaving Eden Podcast. Um, and then I also have my own account. It's Sadie Carpenter One. I will eventually change my TikTok name when I figure out how cool teens name themselves on TikTok. Yeah. i'm about to be i'm about to be a mom and i'm probably too old for this but that's okay i'm doing it anyway yeah so uh, and you can follow me on uh facebook and instagram and twitter at gavriel hakohen g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n uh follow my twitter at your own risk uh (laughs) you get spicy um and anyway uh it's been good to talk to you guys again, and it's a, it's going to be a good new year, I'm hoping, I'm believing, um, and we'll talk to you guys later. You guys have a nice day. Bye-bye. But oh.
Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.